Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect. KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast, featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Diorio. Thank you, Charlotte. For our guest today, please welcome Tom Price, Director of Engineering and Design of Titanic Designs. Titanic Design is an on-demand 3D printing service that specializes in large-scale designs. They provide fast and high-quality 3D prints to industries across the world. For more information, feel free to visit www.titanic.design. That's www.titanic.design. Hello, Tom. It's an honor and pleasure having you on the Modern Architect radio show and podcast today. Thank you so much for coming out to Stanford. Well, thanks, Tom. It's good to be here. Oh, we're really happy to be here. We've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. Tom, if you don't mind, I'd like to start off with early inspirations. If you can go back as far as you can recall to where you are now and how far back you can see, like, you know what? I kind of can see why I do what I do and how I do what I do and do it. As far back, share with our audience how that may have occurred. As far back as you can recall. I mean, I think for me, I was kind of doomed from an early age to get into doomed. this whole, uh, yeah, getting the whole engineering, whole families, uh, scientists and everything. So pretty much at five. Five? My, yeah, my dad, wow. was, a, my dad nice. was a pilot and an aerospace engineer. Kind of just started from there and then kind of just been wandering my way through. Nice. Are any galvanizing moments, if you can recall, or if you're even at liberty to share with us, that you can go, <laughs> you know what, I recall we were here or we were there and... Uh, I go, you know what? I think I would do this. I mean, I think it actually say it's, you know, my, my parents were very good at being very subtle. Uh, <laughs> I like that. It was every little, every little vacation, every little thing like that that we'd go on, be touring a battleship, going to the Discovery Place, going to an Exploratorium, just boiling the uh, ocean slowly. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to jump real far ahead here to where we are now. <laughs> That's far ahead from where you were, what you were saying. How did you begin Titanic Design, and how did it become? Was it a 
germ in your mind? What, how did it become what it is? I mean, for us, Titanic design was just kind of a, a, a natural, natural evolution. I've worked in a lot, of, a lot of positions around engineering organizations from aerospace, defense, hospital equipment, robotics. And uh, mainly in those roles, it's been doing things like running in laboratories, getting equipment that everybody needs to uh, help do their jobs. And one of the things that we actually saw was a need for ultra-large-scale 3D printing. It's kind of a unique set of skills that most companies don't have the resources uh, and time to invest in. It's not in their core competency. And that's uh, something we can excel at and help with. I like that you said ultra-large. How is ultra large? Uh, larger than a cubic meter. So our larger, our largest machine's got a meter and a half by meter build area. So yeah, in the in the in the world of three D printing, that's in the that's the ultra large character. Yeah, ultra large size. Yeah, and and the detail. I notice your your wonderful one of your wonderful business cards. So how large can you scale that Victorian? It, well, the architects tell me that's an Edwardian. Oh not, yeah, I'm not sorry, a, you're right. I was going to say that, you know, but you know, I, we're, we're on the show. It. We gotta, yeah, yeah. We gotta, Tom, we gotta make sure. We're, we gotta make sure we're here. But for these guys, I mean, it's, it's pretty much you know, sky's the limit here. I mean, you can even not only can you go large, you know, in this size up to the full, a full, uh, full meter and a half by meter, but depending on designs, everything else like that. You know, some people actually break buildings down into multiple pieces so we can okay. actually build larger sizes. Uh, we've done that for a few malls that people wanted to do it like one to eight and one to ten scale. So you can do an entire mall? Oh yeah, we've done an entire mall. Uh, one of the jobs we recently did was uh, printing 2,000 buildings, basically 2,000 buildings in Cupertino for the city planning for the new Apple building. 2,000? Yeah. So, so, what's the timeline on that? I mean, that was a that was a long, that was a couple week project there. But with some of our new equipment that we've got in now, I mean, that's that's a couple days. That quickly is technology moving that fast, or is it just a matter of you getting the? the uh, it. I mean, it's both because we have large scale equipment. Uh, okay. You know, the equipment's made for going faster. And then we work with our customers to kind of, you know, figure out what they actually need, whether it's, you know, what can we get away with? Can we, we don't need parts to be a solid volume. You know, you really only care about the facades, the outside on a lot of these parts. So yeah. you're able to get away with, uh, you know, depending on requirements, you know, what yeah. you want. Are they as blown away as when, when uh, you shared the Edwardian card, although that's your calling card? Are they as blown away with what your capacity is? Uh, yeah, I mean, we get a, I mean, we get people coming back. You know, the majority of our business is return business once people uh, get hooked on. Oh, so it's return. Like, in, once they see it or experience, they go, oh, hey, I've got a, uh, we've got more projects with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, try it, you know, people try us out and then uh, they keep coming back. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, how are you reaching your existing clients or how, how do people find you or is it kind of both? I mean, it's both. We do organic search, things like that. We're also reaching out. We're getting a lot more involved in a lot of events. Huh. Yeah, so we're kind of going on an offensive on the architecture side. So I yeah. like that. You're an offensive. Yeah, be looking, be looking for us. <laughs> I love that. Now, when you, uh, you're also engaging with the, within the, those in the built environment, how else are they sharing with their clients and their culture that what you can do is something that they just really kind of got away from, which is the making of the physical model. I mean, basically, we just, we just want to work show for us. You yeah. know? For a lot of this stuff, 
there's things we'll we'll easily say we can't do. You know, do, we're not going to do the little trees out in front of buildings. <laughs> we're not going to do things like that. So there's certainly uh, points that are our limitations, but you know, we're happy to discuss those yeah. and share those as much as uh, sticking to what we can do. Excellent. How did you choose the San Francisco Bay Area? Did the Bay Area choose you? Uh, Bay chose me. Okay. You know, it's opportunities and uh, culture. Really. So opportunities, culture, what, what did you like about it that made you say, hey, you know, this is a place that we're going to really rock and roll? I mean, out of... Or swim. I mean, I've whatever. lived... Or swim, yeah, whatever your preference is. <laughs> you know, you just kind of swim through the culture here. <laughs> no, it's, it's drinking from a fire hose. So... It is. No, when we... Uh, you know, I've, this is the fifth state I've lived in, and I've been to 33 countries. Yeah, I like that. 33 countries. Was that by choice, by... I, my parents thought it was good to have a cultural education, you know. It's, oh, right on the mark. Yeah, no, weird. You know. No, weird, <laughs> <laughs> it ought to be prerequisite. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. I mean, it's obviously very fortunate, but, yeah, no, it's, it's really helped with the perspective. And when you come to somewhere like here, I mean, it's there's nowhere like the Bay. Yeah. Share with us the perspective. We want to capture the essence of Mr. Tom Price here. How would you feel, uh, if you're at liberty to share with us, that going through 33 countries helped make you the best you you can be, at least for right now? I mean, it's just, for me, you see how different everybody is living, and yet you also see a lot of the similarities. So you see different cultures, you see different people, and you see how everybody lives. And uh, shockingly, everybody lives and keeps going. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe you know, diversity is a good thing. So <laughs> yeah. So you've had the 33 countries, and you're, and you're here. What city are you you're in? Uh... Right, we're, down in, we're down in Mountain View. Okay. Again, Mountain View was a place you chose, or kind of chose uh, you? yeah, close to close to work. You know, we, you know, I, I heard about the, uh, the traffic in the bay, and uh, you know, I'm a delicate guy, so I uh, made sure <laughs> I could be as uh, close to work as possible. Oh, nice. So, how is the work with Titanic? Is it twenty four seven, at least mentally? Oh, I mean, I mean, for us now, it's like our machines are the ones that work. You know, we, Share with we, us how that all goes in. Well, if we're, we're going to go into that, I think, yeah. I think I could even, you know, we'll start a little bit earlier on just, sure. uh, you know, what is 3D printing, you know, kind of go from there. Because I know we like throwing around this word, but I think it's good to say uh, what it is and what it isn't. Thank you. That'd be great. Orange is waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so, you know, when we say 3D printing, we actually mean like additive manufacturing. But even when you say additive manufacturing, it's first kind of easier to explain what is subtractive manufacturing. Okay. And so uh, subtractive manufacturing is kind of what we normally know. It's kind of like how the first caveman made the first wheel. You have a piece <laughs> of stone and you have a chisel. And what you want is inside of the stone. And so you chisel away, you subtract the rest of the material wow. until you get what you want. And that's kind of the way most things work now, whether it's a saw, a lathe, and a mill where you're turning a part or anything like that. You're basically getting the part out of solid material. And so additive manufacturing is the opposite. You start with nothing and you keep adding material until you get what you want. Now, that can either be plastic, either in a powdered form or a liquid extrusion or something like that, or metal or something. And you basically go through and you start adding material together compared to, you know, the first wheel being made whenever we want to say that was, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. This is a uh, this is relatively new. It really didn't come into its space until like the 80s really is what we think of additive manufacturing now. And so basically the easiest way to think of the 3D printing that we do, we do something called FDM, which is a filament deposition method, FDM slash FFF. They're the same thing. And basically if you think of basically a hot glue 
glue gun filled with plastic, and you're basically making thin two-dimensional slices. Kind of like the easiest way to describe that would be if you think about making a landscape out of corrugated cardboard and you cut out each piece of cardboard and stack them on top of each other and then you have your landscape that you're going to put your models on. Well, in this case, each one of those layers is just plastic and instead of making them separately, you make them right on top of each other and the whole thing basically turns into a model. And so that is 3D printing. Wow, that really simplified it. It took a long time to get to be so simple though. Uh, <laughs> At least for your description. How, how, long have, <laughs> how, how long have you been involved with 3D printing? I mean, pretty much my whole career in engineering. Engineering's really embraced 3D printing and additive manufacturing just because it helps with engineering prototypes. It helps accelerate the design process and things like that. So they're also very price insensitive, um, which is why we're seeing a lot of the developments, a lot of the continued application and use of 3D printing in engineering. But as that field continues its advancement, it's paving the way for a lot of other fields to get into and have access to quality 3D printing because prices are able to come down in certain ways in applications. And that's kind of what we're seeing with architecture. Great. Now, did you purposefully choose architecture for Uh, your application? No. I mean, we're just big 3D printing. Okay. You know, people find us... Occasionally we find them, and uh, you know, somewhere in the middle is uh, how things <laughs> actually work. But for us, we basically uh, have seen that a lot of the technology that we use and apply comes out really useful for architecture. This building here, specific, a lot of the stuff that we do is actually made out of a bioplastic, which is actually what we like to use for a lot a of bioplastic. Yeah. Is- so we actually use our preferred material for doing a lot of things. Uh, a lot of people just like and really works on large scales is um, it's actually called PLA. It's called a polylactic acid, which sounds scary, but it's lactic acid. So that's what makes sour milk sour or yogurt or sourdough. And then it's a high fructose corn syrup that gets polymerized by the lactic acid. So I like to basically say it's probably the best use of high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> It is. Uh, this is great. Oh, t- Tom, we're going to go for a break just for a moment. We'll return. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Teach for America is a national core of outstanding recent college graduates and professionals who commit to teaching for two years in urban and rural public schools in lower-income areas nationwide. If you're a college senior interested in being a part of this core, or if you'd like to help support the program, visit teachforamerica, all one word, dot org. That's teachforamerica.org. We're talking today with Tom Price, Director of Engineering and Design, Titanic Designs. For more information, you can visit www.titanic.design. That's www.titanic.design. Design, Tom, you're talking about a great use for high fructose corn syrup. And the process in the material that you use is that with for every printout or? Uh, so no, we can do some. We can do we do novel materials, things like that as well. Uh, especially in engineering, we'll use ABS uh, nylon and kind of one of the cool things that we're actually doing with a lot of emerging things in 3D printing is we actually do a fiber-filled polymer. So we actually can do a carbon fiber-filled PLA ABS or nylon. And so you can actually get some pretty remarkable properties. Those, though, 
depending on the material, obviously, is not biodegradable or compostable, like something okay. like PLA, which you'd use for you know utensils and things like that. So common materials like that that happen to work uh, not only are green, but happen to work really well for 3D printing. Excellent. Now, Tom, our audience obviously is not able to see you, but you've got a fierce beard. I mean, it's it's fierce. It's like a <laughs> dragon. It's oh. awesome. How long have you been growing it? Oh, I forgot to shave yesterday. <laughs> Yesterday, <laughs> really? How long is this? I mean, I, you know, I've, I've, I've had it for a few years. It, okay. uh, you know, it, it helps. Was there any inspiration, as I was telling you before, that I had a mine wasn't quite as long, but it was it was pretty good. It wasn't fierce, but it was it was strong. And mine was just I just got tired of shaving, and once I got over the itch, I just said, "Hey, let's let it roll." Yeah, apathy. Apathy is a good apathy. way to start a beard. <laughs> apathy. Oh, that's great. I know that's a massive segue to our topic on the modern architecture, but it is because you know what? You're letting nature take its course and you, sh- <laughs> and you shape it as to your own vision. So it doesn't matter if it's an actual physical dwelling. It could be your own personal self. So there's relevance. Good, good segue. Good segue. Impressive. <laughs> there's good relevance. So what's the culture like at Titanic? I mean, if you can describe it in not, not a one word, share with it. We can carry on. What, what's the culture like? Because uh, yeah, we were having a good time here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, we're we're a Silicon Valley company. You know, we we're populated by uh, engineers, industrial designers, computer scientists, things like that, because that is kind of what you need for this sort of equipment. Easiest way I'd kind of describe it is like it's kind of like a futuristic machine shop. Oh, that is okay. kind of what additive manufacturing is. So, you know, we got a we got a lot of us around and. Uh, yeah, we're a bunch of passionate people basically trying to uh, continue figuring out the applications of 3D printing because it's like there are just as many places that it's really cool and awesome as things that maybe it's not the best application for. So it's kind of fun figuring that out. And, you know, I will I will say it's we're, we're far away from Star Trek matter materializers. Okay, um, but, far away. Yeah, but I mean, you, you got to have a culture of people that like uh, experimenting and figure <laughs> things out just to just to realize how far away you are. But other places where, um, you know, it makes a lot of sense and we're already seeing, you know, broad market adaption. Yeah. So your office, is everyone from around the country or the world even? Oh, yeah, we've so got, I mean, we're a motley crew. We have some natives. We're a motley crew. Yeah, we, we're really? a motley crew. we got some natives, most of us, you know, around the country. And yeah, we're uh, we're diverse. We're just people that like 3D printing. Wow, that's really awesome. So, did you see yourself say ten years ago, even being involved when you first saw 3D printing? If you can recall, even an essence of when you first recall 3D printing, did you realize that you were going to be as involved as you are now? I mean, certainly at the beginning, no. Okay. I mean, as the as the equipment's come down, and as I've seen the applications of it, it's certainly been something that's made sense for us to, uh, you know. I mean, even just my my very first printer when I was still uh, graduating from graduate school, being able to just start using that and see its applications and being like, oh, okay, yeah, this this has some real utility to it. Yeah, I like that utility to it. That, go back to that ultra large scale. Was that something that happened? By choice, or clients or customers asked, requested it for you? How did you decide ultra large scale? I know you shared it at the beginning, but go into a little bit more how you really select that facet of 3D printing. I mean, there's a lot of 3D printers out right now. There's a lot of companies, a lot of technologies out there, and a lot of them focus on the smaller on the medium scale things you know they kind of top out below a square you know below a cubic foot and that's a space that's pretty pretty reliable you can make machines that are pretty automated that just handle that where things start getting a magnitude more complicated is when you 
jump up a scale because now all of your accuracy problems, all of your other things start becoming issues and the ways in which you're able to tailor things in the CAM software, the computer-aided manufacturing software, uh, based on what clients want, you're able to dial in for strength, time, cost, quality, uh, surface quality, everything like that, and more. So that's where you start seeing these things where it, it basically is a... It's a futuristic machine shop. I mean, there's all the settings, <laughs> dials, and knobs you can turn. Nice. Now, what, what kind of work have you done? Share with us some of your work. If you're at Liberty, you can even share names. If not, if it's confidential. Yeah, I mean, I mean we'll, we'll, we'll keep it vague. But, okay. uh, I mean, for everything from, uh, you know, aerospace, space, robots, engineering jigs and fixtures, automotive, medical equipment, autonomous car parts. Autonomous we, car parts? Yeah, yeah no, we see, we see a lot of different fun engineering, engineering solutions that we see coming through. But we also see, because we, on the large scale and being able to have this equipment being you know, more affordable. We are seeing a lot of really cool applications as well, where we're seeing things like art pieces, kinetic art, furniture, lighting, interior design elements, and a lot more in architecture. Yeah, share with us a little bit about your interior design. We've done a bunch of different elements and facades and things like that for uh, people either wanting to try out a part, not sure if they actually want to, you know, try out a design or a format or something like that, actually getting a piece to see what it looks like, as well as actually doing large statues, structures, things like that, that people just, you know, they want, and this is the easiest way to get them. Yeah. So it really helps. It sounds like it helps influence their decision to either move ahead or not. When uh, Yeah. I mean, for a lot of this, it's just 3D printing is a tool, just like any other one. Okay. And so, uh, you know, when you have access to a new tool, it's uh, something that you can use to uh, get what you want. Yeah. I like how you said just a few minutes ago how you said uh, pretty. You almost sung the word pretty. So <laughs> your, your work, I've seen on your website and even in front of us, you're the Edwardian that you have. It's pretty. It's not something you normally would seek in seeking uh, uh, 3D printing, but it is kind of pretty. Is that like a... An adjective you kind of go for in the end, or are you looking for it just to be functional? I mean, we're just looking for it to be pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. See, you use that word again. I like how you say the word pretty. I know it's crazy, but it's just something that I have. A, I, I'm very. I like to listen. You're a wordsmith. No, no, I'm an earsmith. Okay. That's not, oh, oh, there that's, you go. that's right, not even right. a word yet. Can we coin that? That doesn't make sense. Earsmith. Oh, give us ten time, ten minutes on Wikipedia. <laughs> it is so. Share with us, how is it printing a house? Like, what's the process you go through if someone says, you know, here's a house? Well, so I think the difference is, is a model house. Okay, right? model house, not yeah, a house. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay, like, there, there are definitely Thanks a few companies right now. Yeah, there, there's a few companies right now, actually, um, trying yes, to are. 3D print houses and bridges and things like that. I think they've got novelty to them. I don't think necessarily for different various complications. Maybe that's the uh, best application of the technology. You're so kind. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm excited to be proved wrong. I'm leaving the I'm leaving the option to be proved wrong. I'll be excited if I am. But, I'm excited uh, to be proven wrong. Oh, you heard it here first. Way to go, Tom. Nice call. <laughs> I'm excited to be proven wrong. <laughs> I mean, we'll see. There's, so we'll go, to, we'll go to that one first. But I think okay. there's a lot of novelty that people are doing in 3D printing houses and 3D printing bridges, structures like that and things. What, just right now, a bridge was fairly recently installed in Amsterdam. Yes, there's I read a, about it. Yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a metal bridge that was made. And that one's now kind of being used. Now, it sounds really cool, but it's a 20-foot bridge, and it's for pedestrians. 
and it was made with multi-axis robots doing basically using welding rod. So pretty cool, but that's probably a few million dollar bridge that I think they've been wow, working on that million. for a year or two. A few million, a few okay. million. And just for development and everything else. And part of the things that kind of, because this is a tool and it's really cool, there's also some other inherent limitations in the technology. One of the things that is an issue is basically because of additive manufacturing, you're building things in successive layers. That can kind of turn into an issue in larger structures and things when you need to rely on them for reliability and things because you basically are introducing a lot of different little focus points, which can be stress concentrators, which can help with crack propagation and other things like that. So you kind of run into some complications there. I'm not sure what people are doing to fix some of those. This is certainly an emerging field, but those are some things that just from a longer reliability standpoint, I mean, there's a reason why people use structural steel. Okay. There's a reason yeah. why people make things the way they are. I-beams are made the way they are because they're economical. You get really good strength properties for very low amount of material. Now, if you're going to start doing this out of something like 3D printing and use other structures and things, now you're going to have to start talking about, well, do I have to use more to help take care of some of these issues with cyclical loading of things? There's a lot of, there's a lot of emerging things there. So while these things are coming out, you know, I don't think this is... Uh, We'll see where they go. Okay. I think there's still plenty of time there. So I don't think 3D printing, uh, you know, a skyscraper is going to be happening <laughs> happening anytime soon. Although maybe it can go next to Millennium Tower. You know, maybe. Oh, can, you're. <laughs> maybe, maybe it can. You are being so kind, and now you just threw a real. <laughs> yeah, maybe they can go there, yeah. You, so, you threw a real uh, a wrench in there. I love how you, you the word. Um, it actually, you came up with the name of a rock group, and it's not, it's not existing yet, but crack propagation. Ooh, ooh, there you go. That was a great word to use, crack propagation. I mean, we like our, we like our technical terms. You know, we are engineers in a future machine shop over here. We do use our, uh, do use our technical terms. <laughs> you do. Uh, how about 3D? In, you, you share with us some in the metal, but how else can it be applied in metals? Uh, well, so right now in a lot of the actual engineering fields, probably less for architecture, people are going through and... You can do a basically a, it's called DMLS. It's another 3D printing technology, another additive manufacturing technology called direct metal laser centering. And you're able to basically take aluminum, titanium, things like that, and basically use lasers to center it all together to make really cool big parts. Now, you could certainly scale something up like that, but typically the machines start in the hundreds of thousands and go to the millions of dollars for something that's less than a square foot. So you're still talking a long way to go in those sort of technologies before they get out of anything other than uh, novel engineering approaches. Now, that being said, a lot of companies in engineering are trying to make one-piece rockets, including the rocket engine with 3D printing. They're trying to make aerospace parts, space parts, medical equipment, things like that, all with this sort of technology. But it's also important to realize that uh, you, know, you do have some uh, fairly high cost inhibitors there. Yeah, and speaking of those cost inhibitors, we'll get back to that when we return like to touch on that this is the modern architect kzsu stanford 90.1 fm if you and your co-workers or friends are hungry for a meaningful volunteer opportunity you can lend a hand to help feed families and critically ill children through the megabytes program at ronald mcdonald house at stanford megabytes 
engages volunteer groups of up to eight people who prepare and serve dinner to the 123 families staying at the house. Each group makes a tax-deductible donation of $600 to offset the cost of ingredients for the upcoming meal. You'll help feed families for an average of about $2 per person. Visit rmstanford.org for more information. We're talking today with Tom Price, Director of Engineering and Design, Titanic Designs. For more information, feel free to visit www.titanic.design. That's www.titanic.design. Tom, before we went off for a station ID, we're talking about some of the cost inhibitors. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so right now you're seeing a lot of changes in additive manufacturing because basically as the tech, some of the technologies get more mature, you're able to see broader adaptation and people figuring things out more and finding out how to make the you know, equipment more reliable, cost-effective, everything like that. So we were talking about metal. That's a pretty spectacularly cost-inhibitive <laughs> technology right there. But things that we're actually uh, working on right now on our scale are things like the plastics, where they're actually coming down. They're pretty reliable. The equipments and the technologies are getting pretty locked in. Nice. Share with us a bit more about the modular buildings. Um, yeah, so, well, so for building models or okay. things like that. Yeah, I mean, we basically go through and print. We print whatever people need. <laughs> go through and print. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so for, I mean, we were talking about modular 3D printed models yeah. before if somebody wanted to print a mall or something like that. But yes, 2,000 malls. Yeah, or 2,000 well, 2, buildings. You, 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 you know, buildings. you could print 2,000 malls. <laughs> They'll just be small. I mean, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's what the technology does. But, no, for basically for something like a, uh, like a building like one of these, we'll kind of go in and we'll start talking with a, with an architect and figuring out, you know, what do we what do we want to do, what scale, uh, what details want to be in there, and then what do they already have of existing models? Because we kind of go both ways. Some people will want, uh, you know, they might not have the, a 3D printed model, they might have blueprints or something like that, but the customers that we're seeing a lot of adaptation from are changing processes and, you know, using a lot more of these, you know, existing CAD softwares, Revit, SketchUp, uh, Rhino, and actually going through and actually applying these and being able to basically, you know, with some modifications, basically being able to pull out these models for free and from their existing design and then just print them instead of having to uh, have model makers go through and, you know, spend large amounts of time making a single model. Yes. And there's nothing stopping you from once you've figured out the <laughs> CAD uh, for a, what is a 3D printed model of your structure. There's nothing preventing you from making one big one, 10 so in case you wanted to send one to yeah. remote sites to have people have the same conversation or, you know, right. 2,000 or even having one for everybody that worked on the project or something like that. There's, you know, plenty of options. There. Oh, I love that. What have you seen? Do they have as existing models prior to you... Uh Introducing yourself. I mean, so depending on the depending on the clients that we've worked with, we've seen some people who already have a 3D printing solution in place. Some people are already exploring with having those internal to their organization and things like that. 
we print for we print for these people. We have other companies who are you know now implementing and have standard CAD processes in place where they're using a Revit model, and so they already have existing 3D models where they'll send over. And then we have uh, other people who are just kind of just uh, doing it the standard way that works, the old-fashioned way that works. And for those people, they might only have just blueprints or just schematics or something like that. And for them, they'll just send those over, and we'll start having it. We'll start having a conversation with them on you know what do they actually want, what are they looking for, and you know we'll do some of the modeling ourselves. Yeah. Now, let's say out of uh, every, if you uh, you meet with ten architects. How many out of those 10 do you think uh, or have you experienced that you actually will value what it is that you're doing with 3D printing? I know I don't want a number out here. Maybe you haven't quantified it. I'm just I mean, I mean, is curiosity this, is this, question. Is this, is this dentists, nine out of ten, nine out of ten architects, you know, <laughs> say approved three. Yeah, 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 exactly. I yeah. think I don't. I, I mean, just I, I just think it has to work. You kind of have to see it, and it kind of has to work with what you're working on in your process. But a lot of people, a lot of firms, once they see what they're able to do with a uh, you know a much larger model or something <laughs> like that it kind of it kind of kind of sells it out well i mean you know i get that <laughs> yeah. but <laughs> Nine out of ten dentists. yeah yeah so you know it's basically uh once it starts working well i mean it, it should this is a tool so okay. once it starts working for you i think it's a pretty easy sell and so some of the some of the firms that we've seen one of our earlier clients that still comes back to us we'll give a shameless shout out <laughs> I love uh, stainless yeah, yeah shameless shout out to opticos design over in berkeley they've actually implemented this into their process because they do a lot of presentations and community involvement and so even today even with what we have with you know renders and uh, digital renders 3d models and everything like that and being able to show people you know what things are going to look like it's really different from being able to have a tangible model in front of you where when you're talking with a community or you're talking with a client and you can say hey look here is your city. Here is your project. If you don't like it, move the pieces. Move pieces around. Come up with an idea. You know, it's like when you're involved in uh, this sort of process and you're able to basically have them look at things. And especially with models like this, where we're accurate to a uh, submillimeter. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's your accuracy? Uh, so, so even on across a large scale, we're submillimeter accurate. So we're. Wow. Yeah, so we're able to deliver really easy parts that uh that are really accurate and really cool. And so, oh my goodness, yeah, especially when you know, touch on the community when the community can actually see what a development can look like. That's yeah. got to change their perspective. Well, it does. I mean, it it's not just for, you know, seeing and visualizing from there, but it's also really important in the entire design process because this is their community. This is the sort of thing that these people, you know, whether it's the mayor, the the city council or the citizens, concerned citizens or even the uh you know, your partners in a project, the construction firms and, you know, other firms that are involved, you're able to basically go through and everybody can see exactly what's being talked about, move things around, talk about it, have a discussion and change and really, I mean, the big benefit from engineering is rapidly iterate. So okay. you're able to love that word, go iterate rapidly. Oh yeah, we got, we got buzzwords. We got buzzwords here. Oh yeah, they're flying all over the place. <laughs> we need a fly catcher or fly swatter. Now, so, so you can see it the tangibly. So where do you see it in the next three to five years? I mean, obviously it's, it's got to evolve. It's kind of a baited question, but where do you see it being involved in the uh, space? I mean, I think what we're going to see is just larger 
adoption of basically okay. this technology. So, I mean, right now we're basically, you know, if you're not doing 3D modeling and you're not doing quality 3D models that are then able to be easily modified for 3D printing, you know, it's more work than doing nothing. But okay. the benefits that people are seeing from this, I think, are going to kind of continue to go further and further as the market kind of goes more broadly into this field. You you basically have the freedom, um, you know, when when you don't have a delicate model anymore. I mean, when you're able to, you know, be a little bit rougher in the model. And worst case scenario, if you even break your model, you're not talking people's time anymore. Yeah. You're talking just printing another one it's it's getting to the point of you know it's it's like oh no we broke it well we'll just print another one and that's kind of like the value of it you're able to show off these things a lot more you're able to take them to shows you're able to take them to clients you're able to ship them and kind of ship them kind of worry free because you know that you have the design and i think that's a big thing that people also have for an advantage here is you should be spending your time working on the design because that's the thing that matters and so once you spend your time working on the design, you basically get this for free. Ah, I get it. Do you have any favorites that oh. you have, projects that you've worked on that are favorites? Or are they, are they all of them are? I mean, I'm, that's being well, I mean, very I mean, generous. I mean, but did, really, do you have any favorite projects? You're like, oh, this is really great from beginning to... Not well, I mean, I mean, we'll be selfish and we'll talk about some of our own projects. Yeah, please but, do. I mean, know, what's that like, one like you have in the ocean on your website? I love that. Oh, 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 that, that's just our, that's just our sign. That, well, that's our sign. You know, yeah. it's like we just printed our logo and, you know, printed it three feet wide and <laughs> went and buried it in the sand and waited that's for a wave to hit it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> waited for a wave to hit it. You know, it's, this, this is what you can do. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, one of our favorite ones is actually uh, hanging on a wall, but it's a uh, scale replica of the uh, CFM-56 which is the main bypass fan on the Boeing 737. So we just have a large oh, jet no. engine. Yeah, we've got a large jet engine hanging on the wall. That's uh, to scale. So it's uh, five and a half feet wide. And it's a pretty cool piece. But, you know, we, we like our little San Francisco house here. We've done a bunch of other cool little demo uh, pieces. And uh, when we actually do work in the field, too, I mean, it's like when we, we like the Cupertino. This is, this is one of our larger ones. Yeah. Uh, we've also, you know, it's like when we've done a complex in Rohnert Park, uh, San Carlos, things like that. It, it's cool to see how people react to these models and what they actually get away and how they're able to help. Yeah. So an architect contacts you and they say, hey, look, I don't have, I'm going to either pretend or uh, no ignorance. I say, you know, I don't know what to do. I like kind of what you're doing. So how, how does the process go with you to where they can actually experience this? Hmm. I mean, for us, we're really about building relationship. The majority of our business across all of our clients and all of our industries is return business. So really the way it just starts is we just, you know, have an initial email or a conversation. We basically kind of go from there to find out what is the state that, we're in. Do we have existing models? Do we have blueprints? How interested are we in this? How fast are we looking? You know, what are all of our requirements and kind of solutions there so that we can start uh, coming up with some? Are there any projects that are real difficult that you actually say, no, I'm, we're not going to be able to do that? Oh, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll definitely do those. Uh, we had one that there's a difference between a CAD model and a 3D model, where it's okay. if it looks good on a computer, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to turn out acceptably well in, ah, uh -huh. in a 3D print, unless you put work into it. I mean, you can make things on a computer that look good that are not going to be printable. And so we had a client that had something that 
I mean, looked great. Had a bunch of had a bunch of airy structure to it, and you know, lots of. Unfortunately, they were basically two dimensional, basically planes. There were going to be a lot of cloth elements on this piece, and uh, this wasn't something in their time scale, in their budget, we were able to easily do for them. So. You know, yeah. swing and a miss. <laughs> so it sounds like you you want to listen to everyone to hopefully provide a solution for them. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, you, we're we're in the business of providing solutions. <laughs> I know. Yeah, let's go back again, boy. This is going too fast. Oh man, I keep having to do station IDs. This is the Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford ninety point one FM. Goggles optional is an award-winning, locally produced podcast where scientists from Stanford University provide their professional yet humorous take on the world of science. Join KZSU on Wednesdays at noon as your hosts explore the significant news and discoveries of the week using a combination of wit, analogies, and words with less than four syllables. Don't worry, you don't need to be a scientist to listen. The goggles are optional. Every Wednesday at 12 noon, only on KZSU. We're talking today with Tom Price, Director of Engineering and Design of Titanic Designs. For more information, you can visit www.titanic.designs. That's titanic.design. Tom, what's the speed from the the moment someone, say, contacts you and says, hey, here's what we got going to where... I mean, I'm sure it varies, but is there a general speed or timeline of delivery? So it depends. It depends on, obviously, the maturity and where they are in the process. The The fancy ones we like to say, we've had uh, multiple clients where it, it can be next day or even same day. Really? Yeah. It, once once people are familiar with the process and we're, we have a relationship with them and we understand each other, we've delivered multiple projects and uh, next day turnaround. Oh, does that exceed the expectations from the safe going from zero to at least somewhat knowledge? I mean, well, now that I've mentioned it, it probably doesn't exceed expectations as much now that, you know, people have heard, heard <laughs> now what you can know. do next day turnaround. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's fast with the equipment. It's the technologies that we've identified and brought over from the engineering space are, I mean, we p- pounds of plastic a day. So between all of our equipment and having multiple pieces, we're able to just move lots of plastic and get it in the uh, format that people want. Yeah. Here's a question that's really a little off base with it, but if you want to answer it, do you ever influence the actual machines themselves to the capability? Oh, yeah. The machines that we have, uh, we've brought over technology and we've brought over some equipment, but we've made a lot of modifications on our equipment. We continue to do so um, as we kind of further refine and identify what we need. Like I said, it's a it's it's a it's it's a rapidly evolving field. And so it sounds like almost weekly. Is that too much or quarterly? I'd say monthly or quarterly. I mean, you know, depending on what we have and depending on what we need. That's rapid considering most industries do not move that fast. No, it's like I said. It's it it's fast moving. I mean, you know, there's a reason why we're in the bay. You know, this is this kind of the fast moving <laughs> yeah. place. Yeah, it definitely is. Now I'm going to talk again about the urban development models and how how you actually help mayors, developers actually visualize and tactically you know, where they can feel what the difference in their community will be. Yeah. So 
for some of these models, we'll even have models that came from Google SketchUp that they'll okay. send over to really? us. Really? Yes. The, okay. And so they'll even be able to just extract uh, 3D models out of Google SketchUp and send them over for us, for us to start uh, taking looks, and some of them are printable. But yeah, basically, a lot of these pieces, depending on what we're working on, they're, they're for... Uh, architecture and urban development firms to basically use as a tool to show the city and show the concerned stakeholders what's going on and just do a better job of keeping them in the loop because now you have a to scale accurate model that anybody you know they don't have to try to visualize on a screen they don't have to try to render it themselves or see what you're see your vision they can walk around the model and see what their city's going to look like yeah i like that there's another name of a rock group called the concerned stakeholders Ooh. ooh. <laughs> what, 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 what do they play tom what do they play um it's a mixture of zydeco reggae and acid rock Ooh, all right, all right. I'll, I'll look forward to them. I'll look forward to them. I want free tickets. I want free tickets. <laughs> free tickets to the concerned stakeholders. Yeah. Tom, is there anything else that we may not have touched on? Uh, unfortunately, we only have an hour. <laughs> you and I can carry on with this. This is terrific. I'm uh, fascinated with your technology, what you can do, and you as well. I'm glad you're, uh, you're at the helm of this. Anything else you'd like to share with our audience that we may not have touched on that you feel is really important? I mean, I think we're basically, you know, as this technology is adapting, the world's going further and further digital. And this process of 3D printing really isn't hugely different from existing CAD solutions and things that we already have from now. Uh, with a little work and a little bit of process where we find out how to, you know, meet together, uh, what you, you know, what people have already done and spent months or, you know, even years of time developing and working on their actual existing CAD models, those are almost there. And so just with a little work to a point where basically we are able to meet in the middle and use our utilities and our capabilities to kind of move it to the rest of the process, that's something that we're basically able to do and find out together. And yeah. even with what we have right now, we print in plastic, but you know we've got multiple colors. We've got things like that. Excellent. So anything you know, we can uh, you know paint with all the colors of the wind. <laughs> the wind with the universe. I love that as well. Tom, it's been a real honor and pleasure having you. Thank you so much. It's, I hope you consider coming back again soon, sometime. Soon, sometime. Well, I mean, twist my arm. You know, it, 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 <laughs> twist my it, arm. It is, I will say it is at least good that you've had the little station IDs to let them know that we're both Tom. Because, oh, uh, yeah. Tom. Other, otherwise, otherwise, it's just going to sound like a really fascinating show of you talking to yourself. <laughs> it is. With another voice. And, and a beard. And I'm unshaven. Or I'm shaven. You're not. This is Tom. We got to do this again. This is great. This is great. You've been listening to the modern architect. I hope you're happy you've been here. Have you? Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you're great. Good. yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. I'll go back to the formalities here. You've been you've been listening <laughs> to the modern architect. I'm Tom Dioro. Our guest today has been Tom Price, founder and CEO. Oh, am I correct with that? Yeah, uh, di- yeah. founder and CEO and uh, director of engineering and design of Titanic Designs. Titanic Design is an on-demand 3D printing service that specializes in large ultra ultra large scale designs we provide we no we don't that's the other tom <laughs> tom provides fast and high quality 3d prints to industries across the world for more information yeah you can feel free to visit www.titanic.design that's www.titanic.design join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect engineer influencer or civic leader 
committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at Stanford University Studios in Stanford, California, and on location in California, and is a production of KZSU Stanford Radio. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we are all assisted by Akshay Yagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Bureau. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews, plural, that's interviews with an S, at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews, plural, with an S, at kzsu.stanford.edu.
Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for The Modern Architect.